0: So if you can help the people creating the work understand the feeling that they're eliciting and what this means to people and how they fit into the greater story of not just the credit union movement, but individual people in their financial journey, now all of a sudden we have purpose.
1: You are listening to Banking on Digital Growth with James Robert Lay a podcast that empowers financial brand marketing, sales, and leadership teams to maximize their digital growth potential by generating 10 times more loans and deposits. Today's episode is part of the Digital Growth Journey series, where James Robert uncovers and explores some of the industry's biggest digital marketing and sales stories of success. Let's get into the show.
2: Greetings and hello, I am James Robert Lay and welcome to episode 269 of the Banking on Digital Growth podcast. Today's episode is part of the Digital Growth Journey series and I'm excited to welcome Garrick Girard to the show. Garrick is the marketing manager at Louisiana Federal Credit Union and Garrick and I had a conversation going all the way back to episode number 89 about content strategy. However, since that time, Garrick's role at the credit union has continued to transform as a leader, and along the way, he's made some very keen observations about leadership through the lens of a D&D DM. What's a DD and d DM, you ask? Keep listening, because I promise that you're going to walk away with practical insights, that you can apply as you continue to move forward and make progress along your own journey of growth at your bank, at your credit union, or at your fintech. Welcome to the show, Garrick. It is good to share time with you today, buddy. It's great to be back
0: on. Thank you for inviting me.
2: 100%. Before we get into talking about what I'm going to frame as transforming leadership and the transformation of leadership within financial brands, the leadership lessons that you've learned along the way, and I think even more uniquely, the leadership lessons that you have gained as a D&D DM, which we're going to get into that in just a bit. What is good in your world? What is positive right now, personally or professionally?
0: Well, uh, we're growing our team over here at Louisiana FCU. We brought in some new talent, and I have assumed the role of marketing manager, and it's been really great learning more about our organization outside of content because as you know i was the content strategist before that so learning more about the organization as a whole and what what each individual does uh it's also been great kind of showing uh the new team members the ropes and and you know some of them one of them is fairly young reminds me of uh back when i was a blue chipper and a, some I'm hoping I can impart some wisdom onto her that I wish people would have told me back in the day.
2: You know, I I think it's a great transition here because there is a transformation of leadership happening within financial brands as millennials are now moving into these leadership roles. And as a result, millennials by their very nature are just bringing a different perspective. It's that good it's it's not bad it's just life experience that got us to this point we see things a little bit differently and you know for context for the dear listener I am not a true millennial I would I would identify as an exennial um you know being Mm. born in 1981 I'm this bridge generation when you look at the The elder millennial yeah and so we're kind of putting this like This funny, we're not true Gen X, but we're not true Millennial. We're Xennials, bridging essentially like what life was like before the internet. Growing up in a world to where you you played outside, you you skinned your knees up, you would you know play till the sun went down, kind of a thing, and it was just a different time, and so that shaped my reality. And I think for for the dear listener, for context. Where are you coming from to begin with as a a millennial
0: leader? Uh, Well, I'm a true millennial. So that means when I was coming out of college with all of my colleagues and cohorts of the same age, we came out one of the smartest generations because of the internet. Mm. And while I wouldn't say we were all experts at anything, we all knew a lot about a lot of things. And so it made us there was a lot of competition. And I remember that mixed with the recession. It was very hard to get hired. What year was this that you came out of Uh, college? So I came out of college. This would have been 2011.
2: Okay. Yep. So 2008. So three years after 2008. Yeah. And I, and I'm using this for framing because I, I think we forget how far we have come, you know, in a relatively
0: short period of time. So you're coming out in 2011. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I remember going in and, you know, I was green, but I do recall doing a lot of good work for people. And there was sort of this overlying feeling of like, you're lucky to be working here. You should be thanking us, which I feel like has changed nowadays. I've seen that shift with the great resignation. Now it, we're looking to hire new talent and attract people. But I remember back in the day, you know, I'd show up and it was like, you know, hey, here's what I have to offer. Can I work here? They're like, can, Can you, can you start at the salary of free? And I'm like, if it gets my foot in the door, you know? Yeah. And I think, I think that's great context because if you think about like those experiences,
2: what lessons have you learned along the way that have shaped your view as a leader today in 2023,
0: looking ahead towards the future? Well, there was definitely a hustle aspect to it and it kept me humble because I was never, it's like every day I had to prove my worth because mm-hmm. at the time I really got in, I was like, Hey, I can do social media. And they're like, Oh, that new thing, come on in. And so, and I, I feel like a lot of marketers got would or are, are nodding their heads and understand that because that's how a lot of us got our start. But mm-hmm. I remember it being, you know, I, I was able to grow my talents, but didn't necessarily get the, the praise along with it. And so I look at everything now in this lens of, you know, I could be wrong. This is good, but let's talk it out. You know what I mean? Like I don't, I'm not above anything. Let's
2: talk it out. Let's have a conversation. Let's dialogue. Let's discuss. Let's, you know, discover together. How, Mm -hmm. how do you see leadership has transformed say pre 2000 you know and I know once again I know you kind of you know came into the working world in 2011 but a lot of those leaders at the time were being shaped by pre-2000 trends to where mm. leadership is today in 2023 what have what has transformed with leadership as just a general thesis here from your
0: perspective That's a good question and I don't know if I can speak definitively about it but I have noticed that when I would be working with a lot of older leaders, not at Louisiana FCU, but uh, throughout my career, it was a lot of, here's the order, go do it. Mm. Um, But nowadays, I find as I'm working with people around my age, there always has to be a why. And that's not to convince your team to do it. It is to help them actually understand what they're doing. And so there's no confusion and they're able to make it their own, right? It yes. becomes their purpose and they can run with it. And they feel like they've contributed instead of being a cog in the machine.
2: That right there, I think, is an interesting pattern and an important one for the dear listen listener to cue into because historically leadership, we could maybe diagnose as command and control. You've got these few on the top who are providing direction and orders down to the to the lower tier but now there's been a shift and you know maybe the trend is something and there's a book by the this title open strategy we're willing to have more of a wider perspective of input but also more importantly coming back to the dialogue discussion and discourse to help people understand why it is that they are doing what they're doing or why it is that they're being asked and i know that creates some friction within historical hierarchies quote unquote yeah but this comes back to basic human behavior um and i even think about my own kids you know when i tell them to do something i can provide the command, provide the order, quote-unquote, if you will. Or I can sit down and have a conversation and say, hey, this is why this is important. And when yeah. I watch that behavior, I get far more buy-in when I communicate the why and then talk about the what and the how versus just you know the what, yet alone even the how, which I know is a big thing for what y'all do at Louisiana FCU. Think about that, like the why, for just a bit. Um, mm-hmm. And how that has helped to attract the right people, because you're communicating the why, not just the what and the how.
0: Yeah, well, we work in an industry that is not visibly sexy out the gate. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, there's a lot of young talent, and we work in the Greater New Orleans area, so people want to go work for the some of the tourism spots or they want to go work for the saints or the pelicans. And you know, there are a a lot of great places to work that are nationally recognized. So when we show up and we're a credit union, Mm -hmm. I mean, that's not something people grew up writing in there. Like, what do you want to be when you grow up essays? But I really like explaining to them, them being anyone looking to, Make the move or is interested in working here or even working in the financial industry what it is that we do for people especially credit unions and how credit unions differ from banks and once you start explaining to people that you know this was this was built as a community to offer something that these national banks don't you really see their eyes start to glow and you're like yeah this is a purpose you have a purpose here and that's where we start and we can go from there. We're about helping people. And all of a sudden it goes from being, you know, uh, vaults and money and wearing suits to now we're looking at the member and seeing them as more than a number. Yeah, And we're able to address their specific issues or goals.
2: Yeah. That, and I think that it's that sense of purpose, that cause that is far greater than the present moment attracts some people and it repels others but that's okay it's i don't think we can afford to be kind of just lukewarm anymore um because there's the world has transformed and because the world has transformed and technology is driving a lot of that transformation cause Mm -hmm purpose is really central to future growth that is the why um and you know as i wrote about in banking on digital growth people buy the why not just externally but i even think probably more importantly internally because if, yes. if we lack an engaged culture um and back to your point about the great resignation people are checking out um And I think a lot of it is because they're emotionally disconnected to the work that they're doing and the idea of emotion in a vertical like banking and a vertical like financial services does create some conflict. It does create some tension, particularly for a leadership uh, team who might be viewing the world from that pre-2000 perspective. Thinking about yourself as a millennial leader. What is maybe a common misunderstanding or a misconception that others might have about millennial leaders that you'd like to just provide a different point of view around? Because this is all about learning. And and I think the more that we can facilitate a dialogue and a discussion and a discourse, the more we can create stronger and more empowered teams internally, and then as a result, create stronger relationships externally with account holders members and people in the communities that we're serving
0: i'd say the biggest misconception with not just millennial leaders but millennials in the workplace is that we're pushovers that you can dump any amount of work on us and it it's kind of a meme on tiktok at this point uh you know you'll get the call on saturday hey uh you know can you un- can you <laughs> unzip this file for me something really easy it's like uh yeah yeah let me get on that And while I do think that that stereotype has come to be because it is based in truth, that has not been my experience that millennials are pushovers. I just think that we're coming in behind leaders who weren't necessarily, you know, that were the, Hey, I am authority. I'm the, I am, I am what I say. That is it. Um, Whereas with millennials, from my experience, we will sit at a table with the interns, with the C-suite, with anyone and speak about things, presenting ourselves as the experts, but knowing I could be wrong. I would mm. love to get your opinion on this. That right there, I think, is a key
2: insight, once again, for the dear listener. It's like, you know, we're coming, and and I say this all the time, like, I'm right, but I have the right to change and transform my opinion based upon a new perspective, yeah, um, and a lot of times I will and and that's you know really deeply rooted in being a lifelong learner. I think mm-hmm. the world is transforming so quickly that we we can't attach ourselves to an idea or a perspective and believe that to be the ultimate truth because if i think back over the last you know 20 plus years of 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 building this business what i know today is vastly different than what i knew 20 years ago and i would even say it's very different than what i would you know have known two years ago and that's one of the reasons i love doing this podcast because i am constantly learning and it is challenging my own biases and i think you know when, when you talked about you know Millennial leaders will sit down, regardless of title, regardless of role, and have a conversation. You know, mm-hmm. I, I think about the conversation that we were having at lunch recently. Um, when you brought some of your new team members into Houston, um, we spent a day together, just you know, getting some perspective and sharing, you know, key models and methodologies. And and you shared something that caught my attention uh, when at lunch. You mentioned, and this was a personal perspective, uh, you you mentioned that you and you it's almost like you talked in code. You said that, yeah. that you were a D DM and I <laughs> and I knew enough about pop culture to pick up on the D, that being yeah. Dungeons and Dragons, but Dragons. once again, as an excenial, I was like, DM. Sounds like a direct message, or is that a dungeon yeah. master? And and I knew what you were talking about, but I want to I want to stay on this pop culture perspective once again for context for the dear listener, because you know we, we have a global audience, and they are coming from multiple generations. They are coming from still America's greatest generation. They are coming from baby boomers. They are coming mm-hmm. from ex, uh, Gen X, millennial, um, even Gen Z. There's been a resurgence of. D&D, Dungeons and Their Dragons. Hats. Yes. And so let's let's just set some context of what has driven this perspective because we're going to we're going to go from there into how how your experience as a Dungeons and Dragons uh dungeon master has influenced your leadership perspective. But let's roll this back because if I think about D&D from a pop culture perspective, top of mind comes stranger things right here. Mm-hmm. So where where has this resurgence of Dungeons and Dragons which you know in the 80s was kind of this, you know, bad thing. I never played it as a kid, and I think a lot mm-hmm. of it was just my own family upbringing, but now as, you know, looking at this from a modern pop culture perspective, where's this resurgence been here?
0: Uh it is because those who played it have come of age and are in positions to create content and movies and shows Mm -hmm. in Hollywood and online. It's kind of like how, when we were kids, all of the movies were around the fifties because the people who grew up in the fifties were romanticizing the time when they were kids. And right now we're seeing that. And I'm actually starting to see millennial romanticizing. uh, And like what there's a Disney movie that came out uh, with the red panda. I don't, I can't think of it, but that one is like, I was watching that just like, oh, holy nostalgia, this is incredible. Yeah. whoever is making the content, you will see their loves bleed into that.
1: Just like people feel stressed about money, we understand digital growth can also feel confusing, frustrating, and overwhelming. But it doesn't have to feel this way for you because you can join the Digital Growth University to gain clarity through education, to overcome the fear of the unknown. Build your team's courage with a growth strategy to eliminate the fear of change and increase your confidence with coaching to remove the fear of failure. Visit digitalgrowth.com/university to apply.
2: That's a great point and once again this is about generational shifts and looking for these trends, you know, in generational shifts because you're seeing a resurgence of, you know, 80s nostalgia you've Mm -hmm. you have stranger things you have cobra kai top gun you know maverick coming out you're seeing
0: all of these indiana jones indiana
2: jones part five i mean you know (laughs) it's just you know i thought you know what was the kingdom of the crystal skull was like the last one that was four but i mean i grew up you know watching indiana jones one raiders of the lost ark temple of doom the last crusade yes um, yes then kingdom of the crystal skull and then now you've got this next one and a lot of it comes down to feeling an emotion once again. When you think about this resurgence of pop culture, it'll be interesting. Okay, well, what happens with the '90s, you know? And then we're going to get into yeah. like early 2000 pop culture and uh-huh. you'll start seeing. And it's just these these trends. And I think regardless of your generation, if you can be aware of trends in culture, that's going to impact, you know organizational culture that's going to impact leadership culture and so yeah. let's dive into this because you know you are a DD dungeon master dungeon and dragons yes. Dunge- as a kid who did not play this and i'm, <laughs> and I'm going to speak for the deal. what
0: the heck is that so look i didn't play as a kid either uh but i'll say calling it D is like calling a search function google uh, D is one brand so it's technically called tabletop role-playing and real purists, which uh, I am not uh, would say that, you know, D and D is, one of one of them, but not the best one. And so everyone has their preferences. Um, but yeah, I didn't know about it either. And so I had watched an episode, uh, a now controversial episode of community. Mm. And I had heard of D and D as well. And every reference i'd seen of it of imagery where people with like i don't know like graphs and charts and it and i was like okay i thought it was a board game but in community they played it as theater of the mind that is sitting at a table with a group of people giving them their character sheets and talking through scenarios and then just all they had was paper dice and the company around them and I was like, that's what d d is? That looks like the most fun I've ever seen. I roll with the nerdy crowd. And so I was able to uh, shout out in case Javis listens to this, but he DM'd our first game. We had a ton of people show up. So it was like really chaotic, but that was in 2016. And we're like, that was amazing. Let's keep doing it. But I, I wanted to DM, but I was very intimidated by it. Let me pause you on this because yeah. one of the things that you said that this is
2: theater of the mind here. I think that's a skill set as a modern leader. If I take theater of the mind and run this through a different filter, that's strategy. Because you're playing out different possible scenarios. And when you play theater of the mind, you're able to vision multiple paths forward. And essentially kind of like live those different realities as a leader, before they actually happen.
0: Am I am I mistaken with this perspective here? You're 100% correct. And so there are two ways of DMing, and you can mix them, but some people like having the visuals, having a map out or a grid, and, show, and having the maybe the figures, or if you're online, having an icon where it shows you exactly what it is that you're seeing. Mm-hmm. In that situation, there is no mistaking where you are, And what options are available? I like theater of the mind because people are doing exactly what you're talking about. They're seeing, they're not, we're not all seeing the same picture, but we all are on the, we understand the same concept. And so people ask different questions and they come to it with a different perspective. So let me pause you right there again. Yeah.
2: People ask different questions so they come to a realization with a different perspective. Yep. How important is the skill set of asking questions as a modern leader today? Because once again, we come back to the fact that you know we, we can't possibly know it all, but asking questions is a skill. What's your take on that? Because when you ask, when you get really good at asking really good questions, you're going to continuously see things differently than how you saw them before, which is going to then influence how you think. So connect these dots for me
0: here. Two things come to mind. One, asking questions can get you out of any perceived rut. Mm. When you start to really think about what it is you're doing and asking, you know, is, is there a better way to do this? Are we spinning our wheels here? That is when you are, you start, you are able to start imagining like in D and D where, you know, where are the exit points? Is there another room that leads elsewhere that has the, let's say the treasure within it. It also empowers people asking questions. So now that, I'm in a leadership position going to my team. I I have to really stop myself from just telling them things because in my mind, I'm like, I know this and I know a lot about this. I'm going to tell them. But that is going into a situation assuming you know better and that you anything you come up with will be better than anyone else can come up with. And so I find that going to them with questions, is there any way to do this? How could we better do this? They're able to bring multiple options forward. And sometimes like, oh, I haven't even thought about it in that way. And so it's, you know, we're able to not just be a team who is doing what someone tells them, we are bringing all of our talents to the table and we are collectively better for it.
2: So there's that open strategy piece, once again, coming through. And I think when you you go to the team and you ask questions, they're beginning to self-actualize the possibilities. And when they self-actualize the possibilities, that then directly influences and increases their likelihood to take ownership, to take responsibility, to move forward and so now you know as i maybe a a modern leader is a is a they help to facilitate the mind of those that they're working with they're helping to coach those they're working with so that they're now seeing things differently than they were seeing them before this the idea of perspective perspective being context plus framing when you think about the lessons that you have now learned as a dungeon master. What have been some of those leadership lessons that you're
0: able to practically apply going forward as a modern leader? I'll take you through what it is that uh, like the players actually do. So, you know, we mentioned D&D. It is sort of a collective storytelling game. Mm. And so each player takes on a character. That is not them, their own fictional character who overcomes various conflicts. And so the DM or the dungeon master acts as the primary storyteller and sometimes the creator of the adventure. And so it's a three-step process. The DM describes the scenario, the players decide what they want to do, and then the players roll dice to determine if they succeed or fail. The DM's job in all in that very straightforward process is to create something that is fun and challenging and promotes uh, collaboration and creates an environment where the players work together to achieve goals and hopefully walk away from it going, man, we really did it. That was fun.
2: As you're talking through that, you mentioned another key lesson for modern leadership that you take and can take away as a dungeon master. Now, not everyone who's listening to this podcast is gonna go around and be a dungeon master. <laughs> I, I think the key takeaway or what are the, the practical elements here? You mentioned storytelling. Mm-hmm. Storytelling is a skill set and it's one that I think you've just naturally developed over time through your own personal journey of growth, which maybe then you know yields into, you know, being able to help facilitate uh the games here as a dungeon master, but practically speaking, as a modern leader, why is it important to develop the skill of telling good stories? And I think even more importantly than that, you mentioned in your your perspective that you just shared, conflict. So what is the role of stories as a modern leader and why do modern leaders need to
0: develop this skill set here? So when we're playing D&D and mapping out a scenario, there is always a chance that there will be inaction. And so the more inaction there is, the more I feel it as a DM because the game is boring. So there's always a chance that people are going to show up to the table in either not do anything or not be interested in, you know, we should go there. There, There's a motivation to it. Mm. And so instead of me telling them this is in that room, remember you wanted that earlier. If you come to it as a story and you have, uh, you know, over time build the lore and now everyone has their in-depth backgrounds, you know exactly what's going on, not just within your circle, but within the atmosphere around you now, you don't have to tell them to do anything. In fact, they're going to be like, Hey, we got to do this. Do we see any route to do this? I'm empowering them through storytelling to help write that story. And I think that that's a, an important leadership quality. It It is less. If you bring that to the workplace, once again, it's like, you're not just pointing at something and saying, do it that to me, storytelling is the why. And We mentioned uh, all the 80s movies coming out and the the popularity of that. It's because they feel like home. So if you can help the people creating the work understand the feeling that they're, they're eliciting and what this means to people and how they fit into the greater story of not just the credit union movement, but individual people in their financial journey. Now, all of a sudden, we have purpose and I'm not having to show up and be like, hey, You know, have you written these emails yet? No, they already know what they're going to say. They've been thinking about it or they knew exactly what they wanted to say as soon as the the campaign rolled around. You know what I mean?
2: Right. And and when you think about developing this skill set as a storyteller within a leadership role to inspire. And I think that's the key. It's to inspire other people beyond the perspective of the present moment. Where are the opportunities or what might the opportunities be for the dear listener, practically speaking, to do just this? Because it it is a skill and it does take time to develop. I mean, we have an entire, I have an entire chapter on this subject in banking on digital growth. I have an entire class of this in the Digital Growth University. There are certain archetypes. That drive deep into human behavior and have thousands of years of, of of proof points. Joseph Campbell wrote the Hero with a Thousand Faces. I believe it was in 1949, which then George Lucas essentially copied to you know build Star Wars and the myth of Star Wars around. So, what can the dear listener do to bring this into their day to day work life, even though they might not be a dungeon master? The skills are. Practically transferable?
0: Well, stories happen every day. And I would say that a lot of times we don't necessarily see them playing out. It's not until maybe much further down the line that we're able to recognize a pattern or that something meant a lot. A story is not always going to slap you in the face and say, hey, like this is meaningful. One way we've done that or tried to capture these magic moments at Louisiana FCU is we have why stories. And so our team is given an opportunity to submit meaningful stories throughout their day or meaningful stories that have happened to them that quarter, that month, that week, they submit them to, uh, to our CEO, Rhonda. Mm -hmm. And when we come together for the staff meeting, she'll pick, The best ones are the ones that resonate the most with her and she'll read them out loud. And there's not a dry eye in the house sometimes. And other times we're all just laughing because we we've all been in a similar situation. And so that really helps not just build FOMO where, Hey, I want to help someone like that too. But it also, you start to see those themes uh, form and you, you, can take individual stories and see a grander story from it. So as you're talking, that's a very practical use case right there for the dear
2: listener to apply. And it makes me think of an experience that I just recently had working with a community financial brand has a lot of legacy, has a lot of history and facilitated a half day session for their executive leadership team along with other senior leaders and a lot of this was sharing perspective of how this organization has been applying their purpose because what was happening there was a lack of context of cuz you know everyone is off doing their own work within their own unique business unit and so the question was, is, is are we really living this purpose out, or is this just, you know, words on yeah. a wall kind of a thing? And that's very common. But when this group of 2025 20, people all came together to spend four hours, something that the CEO shared will probably stick with me forever. He said, we need to do this more often. We need to come around the campfire and tell these stories. And and I remember one senior leader was, was hearing, you know, someone else share. And she goes, I just got goosebumps from this experience here. And so for the dear listener, an opportunity is to build a system, to build a process internally to capture, back to what you were mentioning, Garrett, capture the why, capture the why stories, capture those, I would say be able to communicate them or create the narrative even further. Your, your CEO, Rhonda, is doing this. Mm-hmm. And then catalog them so that they could be referenced going forward into the future, whether that be internally or externally. And you're building a library of human experience that goes far beyond just the commoditized transaction. Yep. But once again, I think this is a skill set for a modern leader to build around and develop and and if there is someone who is listening, thinking it's a lot of time, I don't have time to 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 even think about this. I want to pull up the you know and, and, and quote John Cotter, who is a professor of leadership at the Harvard Business School. And John Cotter notes, quote, those in leadership positions who fail to grasp or use the power of stories risk failure for themselves and for their companies. And I think that's where you have a, you know, as a, as an individual, as a, as a, as a modern leader, you have a unique perspective that you can use to empower
0: others to do the same. And sometimes you have to coach people because mm. there's a, a, one thing we found is that they're like, I don't know what to write about. And you, you know, if there's someone close to you, you'd be like, Oh, what about that you were telling me about the other day. And they're like, no, well, that's just part of my job. So Uh, that's the thing when you're up close, learning to recognize the magic or helping people to understand what magic looks like when they see it. So that's a good point. Because
2: if if we just assume, that's just part of my job, we devalue that Mm -hmm. to where when you have someone providing a different perspective once again perspective being context and frame, framing they're hoping to reframe this and so what we devalue what we take for granted is truly transformational I think sometimes that does require an outside objective and I think through this conversation that I was facilitating another senior leader kept saying this has been such a helpful discussion because you're you're helping us see what we don't see you're helping to confirm things that either we're thinking about or we're we're forgetting about over here knowing what you know as a leader as a dungeon master Mm -hmm. big roadblocks or big dangers applying this thinking where might there be roadblocks that hold us
0: back from applying this thinking going forward i'd say it gets a little dicey when you are trying to tell a story as a group and people start to see themselves perhaps as the main character. Mm. And so in this case, going forward, and we've discussed this, James Robert, in our last podcast interview, making it all about yourself. yeah, And no, you're no longer looking at the issues of others. You are looking at it as... Here is what I have accomplished. Here is my list of accomplishments. Suddenly, that's not a story because there's no conflict in it. You haven't solved anything, uh, you know, and and it's only about you. And that's when you run into, in work, presenting everything like, I want you to do this. Here's how you can help me. And suddenly, everyone is just an NPC, which is D&D speak for a non-playable character because you are the main character. So there has to be times where you step back, just like you said, and realize all of the stories are intertwined and together is forming a greater story that is worth hearing. I think
2: the ultimate goal as a leader, and I'm going to speak from my own perspective for this, and, I, and I'm and i looking at this through the lens of Star Wars, every leader is really just a helpful guide. And I think about what happened to Obi-Wan. Obi-Wan he got struck down by Darth Vader, you know, and then mm-hmm. he disappeared. I think about Yoda. Yoda literally just disappeared um, on Dagobah in, what was that? Was that? It was. I think it was at the start of Return of the Jedi. Yeah. And then, if you think about episode seven, eight, and nine, what happened mm-hmm. to Luke when he was teaching Rey? He disappeared off the rock, you know? Yeah. And every leader should be able to get their team to a level to where they can just disappear because they've done their role to elevate others to a level of leadership that they're now taking the role of the helpful guide. Because, I mean, if you think about it, it was Obi-Wan and Yoda who guided Luke, and then they disappeared, and then it was Luke who began to guide Ray, and then Luke disappeared. So I think that's that's the ultimate level of leadership is when you can just – kind of like disappear because you've done your job to elevate other people to a state that they could not perceive
0: yeah. before. And so as a millennial, this goes back perfectly to what you were asking me right out the gate uh about millennial leaders, because when I was coming up and it was so competitive, I remember people telling me, put yourself in a position where you were the only one holding on to this knowledge or mm. you are unfireable. So the idea was that you master something and then hold on to it dearly. So that if you're ever in a position where your job's in danger, you can sit you call their bluff and say, Well, what are you going to do without me? And so that's dangerous thinking. I yes. get I get it that it's a survival instinct when you're young, but I'm I'm in a position now where I want I want to know that I could go Obi-Wan off somewhere, hopefully you don't get chopped in half, <laughs> but uh, I can disappear and the world will continue because that is what I've passed on. The fact that I don't need to be there present, cranking the wheel, making sure that things get done shows me that's proof in the pudding that I've done my job. I've, I have brought together the right people and we all are, are communicating. We can do this as a team. I'm not there to, I don't have to call the plays because we have our experts on the field. That right there is a, is a great thought to wrap up on here, because if you think about the,
2: the historical view of this is about learn all you can hoard that knowledge. Don't share with anyone else because that makes you that much more valuable. That looks at the world through a very scarce mindset. It's a zero sum game. We have winners and we have losers, but really kind of this modern perspective that we're sharing through your experience and through the experience of being a dungeon master and facilitating the mind of others, leading the minds of others to see beyond what they can perceive at the present moment. And, and, and maybe even tell a, a little bit of a, of a different story. It's through a lens of abundance that there's plenty of opportunity to go around. And the more that I think we can lean into that, the we're all going to be better off for that. So, As we wrap up, always like to send the dear listener off with something practical that they can do next on their own journey of growth to apply some of the thinking here because all transformation begins with a small, simple step for today. What's one thing that they can do next based upon the experience that you have gained both as a leader as well as a dungeon master?
0: I believe that meeting with your team or your players every once in a while, not too often, but meeting with them, sitting with them one-on-one and asking, what can I do better for you? And leaving your ego at at the door and saying, what would you like to see? How can I help you grow? And really understanding what it is that they want out of a situation. It's empowering. And if you, play it right as in not getting defensive and explaining your own actions. If you sit and listen, there's a lot to learn from there because the truth is valuable. And sometimes you run from it and it doesn't always feel good. But if you take that and actually put energy into correcting that or to grow yourself, everyone wins. And you've become an even more complete leader and someone that your employees are willing to put in hours and energy and time away from their family for. Yeah.
2: I think about that's such a tremendous question. What can I do even better for you as a leader? I have that conversation with my kids. What can I do even better for you as a dad? What can I do even better for for you as a father? Because I know that I'm, I'm probably missing things and the truth stings sometimes, you know, but if I didn't ask that question, I would go on doing the same exact thing. And in some cases I have gone on doing the same exact things. And whenever I sit down and have that conversation, I'm like, it hurts, but then it just brings that level of awareness. Like, okay, this is an optimization that I can make going forward into the future to be an even better father for my kids, and then if we take this professionally to be an even better leader for my team, and it requires it requires humility, um, and like yeah. you said, you have to check your ego at the door. But you know, as Ryan Holiday has written in his book, by the title, ego is the enemy, and I think the more that we can let that go um, mm-hmm. and essentially die to self it's hard, the better leaders that we will become. And it does, it takes practice. It takes, you know, it takes a lot of self-awareness, but it is an opportunity that I think provides exponential growth opportunities in all different areas of our life, both personally and professionally.
0: A lot of the times, the things that hurt the most hurt because it's true. And just remember that, right? If it triggers you, maybe it's getting close to something that, you know, you can grow in an area you can grow in.
2: Very, very true. Garrick, this has been a great conversation. If someone wants to continue the discussion we've started here today, what is the best way for them to reach out, say hello, connect with you, and maybe even
0: play a game of Dungeons & Dragons? LinkedIn, always a great way to reach out to me. Uh, I also have an Instagram. But uh, let's let's say LinkedIn for now. Connect with Garrick, learn with Garrick, grow with Garrick. Garrick, thank you so much for joining me for another
2: episode of Banking on Digital Growth. This has been a lot of fun.
0: Thanks for having me back.
2: As always, and until next time, be well, do good, and make your bed.
1: Thank you for listening to another episode of Banking on Digital Growth with James Robert Lay. To get even more practical and proven insights, along with coaching and guidance, visit digitalgrowthcom slash insider to join a community of growth-minded marketing and sales leaders from financial brands and fintechs. Until next time, be well and do good.